everyone and welcome to this week's episode of TCU's Three Wise Men where your three favorite geniuses give our not so genius takes on all things TCU football and particularly not TCU football and other things around the country. We have given it some thought as the season's gone on. There are a couple good TCU football podcasts out there. There's one really great TCU baseball podcast we hope to step into the void that is TCU basketball podcasts. We're still going to be giving takes on the football games and breaking down the schemes every week, but we're going to start taking a harder turn into basketball as basketball season gets started. With that, we've got a couple takes on this TCU Tech game. I was unfortunately at this TCU Tech game in the Texas Tech student section. Uh, the first thing I want to say is credit to their student section. They were exactly what you would like a student section to be. Their worst people were the worst fans I've ever dealt with. Their best people were some of the better fans I've ever dealt with. And their middle ground was just one dude who told me to go F myself and then invited me to go midget wrestling after the game. Or to go watch midget wrestling. I was not wrestling the midgets. But they were a really good student section, so I wanted to give them credit for that. Uh... Honestly, my problem with the game, we we made a similar mistake that K-State did against Texas where we just didn't start playing until it was far too late. And by the time we started doing anything, it was just too high a hill to climb. And then my last quick complaint for the game was that very last drive. It reminded me so much of so many of our drives last season where we were in a pinch and the last drive, we just had to march down the field and impose our will and last season, I honestly could have stopped watching because I knew we'd pull it off. I mean, I wouldn't have, but you could you could have trusted Max to do it. And this season, it was the exact opposite where you could have stopped watching right there because you knew we weren't going to do it. Like, we just, it was a Swiss cheese defense. We'd finally started hammering them. And right when it mattered, we just didn't know how to play football. So that's that's my thoughts on this game. Barrett, if you want to hit us with two or three quick hits, and then we'll get into some player rewards. Yeah, I thought that our line in general on both sides of the football uh, did not get the push that we needed to see from them in this game really at all. On the offensive side, Amani Bailey obviously had two touchdowns, but he never really got it going. I think that was mostly a product of our line just not opening up holes for him to run through. On the flip side of that, on the defensive side, I had mentioned last week that we needed – Texas Tech to be forced to throw the football and play into Zach Kitley's normal scheme. That did not happen. Taj Brooks got 31 carries and he ran right over TCU's defense. Uh, another kind of key piece of this, I thought Josh Hoover was just out of sync with the wide receivers throughout yes. the vast majority of the game. One piece of that I would say is that the receivers need to do a better job of whenever the defense is in zone coverage, sitting in the holes and slowing down to stay in the holes of the zone. There were a couple times where it looked like Josh was waiting for the receiver to stop and through and anticipating for them to sit down and the receiver kept running. And one of those ended up being a pick. So I think just 
overall our passing game was really out of sync. One final like positive note though, Channing Canada did play and he looked really good. He had seven tackles. So I, Jacob has mentioned like I'm a big Channing Canada fan. I thought he was going to be a good addition to TCU. Looks like he has been. So potential positive upside there. And other than all that, it's just been all the same problems we've been seeing this year. So we'll jump right into player awards. Jacob, who was our golden player this week? I'm going to give it to DJ Rogers. Uh, we hadn't really seen him at all throughout the first eight weeks of the season or so. And he came out, had a phenomenal catch on it for a touchdown. People say it was a dart. It was a dart, but I think it went unrecognized how great of a catch it was because he could have easily let the defender slap it out of his hands. I think that showed really strong hands and he has become the guy who could potentially step into Wiley's role after Jared Wiley graduates. I was sitting with the TCU fan, and when he made that catch, I literally looked at him and was like, do you have any idea who that guy is? Because we really hadn't seen anything from him, and he he deserved that. Um, our Franken-sensational player is, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, Namdi Obiazor. Perfect. <laughs> there we go. Um, he got seven tackles and a sack. We uh, we let them beat us up quite a bit, but he did a Franken sensational job. So I, I got to give that to him. And Barrett, who who do we want Murr out of? Yep. So running us out, I want to see Murr out of the safeties. Bud Clark, Mark Perry in particular, Millard Bradford a little bit, maybe a little less so. I thought that they were particularly bad in run support. And also particularly bad in covered, covering deep. We got beat on play action over the top a lot in this game. And that's where most of their passing yardage came from. And that's kind of like the main goal of a safety is just don't get beat deep. And so I, I think I want to see Murr out of our safety, specifically the two high safeties. And I, they just need to be better, honestly. Yeah, and Bud Clark, when he's great, is one of the best safeties in the country. But the problem is he's not great most of the time. He And if he could just honestly raise his average play level a little yes. bit, I think that would be great because his average play is not great. I'd rather an average safety who can do his job than one of the best safeties in the country who most of the time is not one of the best safeties in the country. Um, with that, Barrett, we'll let you keep running with it. Give us a little insight into this upcoming TCU-UT game. Yep, so UT's head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, love him or hate him, he's a decent coach, I would say. Uh, their coordinators are a little weird because Sark, Sark usually kind of handles the offensive side and from an OC standpoint it's Kyle Flood and AJ Milley are kind of co-offensive coordinators their offense is predicated on the RPO they run the ball a lot if you will let them so it's not necessarily an RPO where they're going to consistently pull it and pass it they're going to run the ball if you will let them run the ball and they're going to continue to run it and kind of pound that down the middle so we really need to be effective and run defense this game they also run a lot of play action 
uh, kind of mixing that in with the basic RPO. They'll run a lot of a lot of design play action in order to get those kind of longer developing plays, catch the defense on their toes. Again, safeties are going to be a big issue for us in this game, I think. So they need to be very aware and not step up too quickly to get beat deep. One interesting note, and I had kind of mentioned this last year whenever TCU was playing Michigan um, to a bunch of my friends. Their offensive scheme runs a lot of pulls from the guard and the tackle, which in all honesty, actually bodes pretty well for TCU because we have a lot of speed on the defensive line typically and not a lot of power. And so what that enables TCU to do is if you can beat the guard or the tackle to the spot that they are pulling to, you can very, very easily disrupt their run game. We saw that last year with Bijan Robinson, where he's like one of the best running backs in the country, and TCU just absolutely held him to little to no yards. 29 yards. Bijan, 29 yards, Robinson. So I, I don't necessarily think this TCU D-line is as good as they were last year, but Dominic can be that kind of key cog if he can beat the lineman to their spot. So that's one kind of thing to keep an eye on and to talk about uh malik murphy a little bit because i believe he'll be starting this game viewers i think this was the first possible week he might come back but uh i think the ut offense is a little bit hampered with malik murphy in there just because he doesn't show a willingness to run at all like, at least with the RPOs, viewers would pull it occasionally. Malik Murphy never looks to pull it. He will hand the ball off every single time. So I think that is something that we could take advantage of. I don't think we will because I don't really have much faith in our team at this point. But it's something we could take advantage of. And frankly, it kind of surprises me because Murphy's like 6'5", 240. You'd expect him to use a little bit of that frame to run the ball occasionally. Who knows? He might this week, but he hasn't in weeks past. Yeah, I, it's definitely something to to keep an eye on. Like you said, he's he's got that tight end at quarterback build, similar to like KJ Jefferson in Arkansas. Me being an Arkansas fan, that's who I think of, like Cam Newton back in the day big bodied guy who has some athleticism. He hasn't necessarily shown that he has a desire to use it to your point. Going over to the defensive side of UT, uh, their DCs, co-defensive coordinators, Jeff Choate and Pete Kwiatkowski. They run a very interesting version of a 4-2-5. It's more like a 2-4-5. And the reason I say that is the two edges in their base system are not necessarily like what you would normally think of as like a defensive end. They're they're more like that outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense to where they're athletic, speed, like twitchy athletes who can get back in coverage if they need to. They typically play a lot wider than a normal 4-2-5, so that's more in an effort to kind of stop spread motion so a big piece of Kendall Browell's offense, right, is motioning our speedsters 
out to the outside and getting them in space with these edges playing a little wider, that makes it a little more difficult because they can get outside a lot faster. Another piece of that, it makes it a little more difficult to run a read option because if they're closing in, they have they still have the ability to recorrect onto the quarterback if they can catch it. So that's one interesting note there. It does open up a lot of running lanes in the middle. Um, and then the second piece I would say on their defense is they keep their safeties really high, like very deep to the point where they're not necessarily backing up in coverage. They're just standing flat footed waiting for the run game. So I think if you have a speedster with a lot of speed and getting them kind of a head start, like Major Everhart, for example, if they can get behind the safeties, it bodes well because they're starting at a standstill. However, if you don't have someone like with that just elite level of speed, it basically cuts off the deep pass. It opens up that kind of intermediate area, and it also opens up the run game in the middle, like like their defensive line setup does. So I think for Bryles to call this game efficiently, we need to feed Imani Bailey the ball, and we need to feed him often. One kind of piece of having these deep safeties is it's very reliant on having a safety who is very knowledgeable and aware and able to read and diagnose the, the offense quickly. So one of my favorite players from Arkansas back in the day was Jalen Catalan. He transferred to UT. Like one of the headiest players I've seen play in terms of understanding the offensive scheme. Like the dude does his research in the film room ahead of time so that he can play well on the field. I think their safeties are going to be a big part of this game and whether or not they're able to contain Imani Bailey coming up to support the run. I mean, we can feed Imani Bailey as many times as we want, but it doesn't matter if he's getting hit as soon as he's handed the ball. I think this, this will really come down to the interior offensive line. And from what I watched, when Texas played K-State this past weekend, Texas's defensive line is crazy good. Like, maybe Texas A&M level's good. They controlled the entire game for the most part. K-State only figured it out when Will Howard started throwing five-yard passes. So that's what we're going to need to do. And luckily for us, the only pass that Josh Hoover looked competent throwing this past weekend was a – five-yard slant so hopefully we can get those going a little bit all right well with that we're uh we're gonna dive into the picks early this episode so that we can veer off into around tcu and basketball for the remainder of it we just talked about it we know jacob's not optimistic from the sound of what we just talked about jacob who's winning texas at tcu texas and probably a blowout would love to be wrong though I think Texas is probably going to win it. That being said, I'm picking TCU because go Frogs. I will never pick against TCU. TCU's taking it. I'm a homer and I don't care. I'm picking TCU. And I said this to Jacob and he strongly disagrees with me. I'm more scared of Baylor than I am of Texas. And I know that doesn't make any sense. I couldn't care less. If that means Texas beats us by 50 and Baylor by 60, 
or it means we beat Baylor by six or we beat Texas by 60 and Baylor by 50 or somewhere in between. I think we're going to do better against Texas than we do the next week against Baylor. I'm giving this to TCU though. Tech at Kansas, Jacob. Kansas looked fantastic. I thought that they were going to have a letdown this past week against Iowa state. We all picked Iowa state to win that game actually. And they didn't at all. Jason Bean's hitting his stride. So I'm going to ride with the Jayhawks. Barrett. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to ride with KU. Like Jacob said, Jason Bean's look good at six years of playtime in college has rounded him out pretty well. I, I think he's actually coming into his own and has been a very serviceable backup with Jalen Daniels out. Go KU. Let's go Jayhawks. Yeah, I think Kansas has this by a mile. Tech got a win last week because we're really bad at football. They are also really bad at football. Kansas is winning this. Baylor at K-State. Jacob. K-State. Barrett. Yeah, I think this is a pretty easy one, K-State. I'm not even bothering explaining it's K-State. Oklahoma <laughs> State at UCF. Jacob. Oklahoma State. Barrett. Yeah, it, their run game has just looked so good recently. I I don't think anyone's going to be able to stop it. Okay, State. If UCF cares at all about its new conference, it will lie down and take it. Okay, State is our only hope against an Oklahoma-Texas championship. There are heroes. Uh, not our only hope, but more or less our only hope. Oklahoma State has to win this. They have to win everything left. West Virginia at OU. Jacob. I think OU bounces back this week. Not in a big way, but in a way. Barrett. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Jacob on this one. I think OU is going to come come out and cruise to a win against West Virginia. I'm taking West Virginia for the upset. I think OU, the same way we sold our soul last season to and lost this season. I think OU sold their soul to beat Texas. They've done exactly nothing since they've beaten Texas. Their biggest win since beating Texas is two points over UCF. They are falling apart, and West Virginia is going to keep knocking them down. Since he has Houston, Jacob. I'm going to take Houston. There is a decent chance that we end up ranked behind Houston in the Big 12 standings by the end of the year. And that's kind of embarrassing. Barrett. Yeah, I think I'm going with the Houston Cougars as well. I I don't necessarily think either of these teams are great. One has a good defense. One has a serviceable offense. I'm taking Houston, and if I've seen anything from Houston this season, it's going to be by one point with zero seconds left on the clock. <laughs> uh, Iowa State at BYU. Jacob. I think I'm going to take... Iowa State, because BYU is just really, really, really bad. Barrett. Yeah, ride Matt Campbell. I, Iowa State's looked pretty good recently. I know they obviously lost, but I think they're still a good team. Iowa State could look really bad, and they'd still win this game. It's BYU. Iowa State wins by a mile. All right, this one should not be close. However, it's a rivalry game, so it could, could go either way. Miami at Florida State. Jacob. <laughs> uh, Florida State has only struggled this year when they've gone up north. Anything south of the Mason-Dixon, they've been unbeatable. 
and they still haven't lost when they have gone up north because thankfully for them the ACC is not good. So I will take Florida State by a lot. Barrett. Yeah, FSU by a lot. Miami's kind of stinky right now. I'm taking FSU, but not by a lot. I think I'm going to bet on Miami to cover. Rivalry games, weird things happen, but also they're not weird enough. FSU is way better than Miami. I think they win, but it's tighter than it should be. Ole Miss at UGA. Jacob. Georgia has looked vulnerable, but they'll still win this one. Barrett. I'm I'm taking the Rebels here. I think that this is the game where our where Connor is finally proven right that Georgia is not as good as they have been and they will not go undefeated. I think that the Rebels walk out with a dub and I think it's off the back of Quinshawn Judkins. I have lost a lot of points this week this season betting against Georgia. But I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. Ole Miss is supposedly a top 10 team. I haven't watched them play this season, so I'm going to have to – okay, Jacob's saying no. But regardless, Ole Miss does weird stuff to SEC teams. Georgia has to get a loss eventually or else it's going to cost me a lot of money. I'm taking Ole Miss. Utah at Washington. Jacob. I think Washington's going to take this one. Utah just doesn't really have an offense. and. I know Washington doesn't really have a defense, but they, I think they have more of a defense than Utah has of an offense. So you said Washington's taking it? Yeah. All right, Barrett. Yeah, I'm going to go with Washington on this one as well. Michael Penning's Jr. looked really good. I know he threw a pick, but like that linebacker 6'6 with a crazy large wingspan. So any normal linebacker is not going to make that play. Um, I, I think Washington walks out with a dub pretty handedly um Washington is a significantly better team but I'm taking Utah uh I'm taking Utah every Pac-12 game for the remainder of the season whether we pick them or not because Utah plays all of the Pac-12's best teams and it's their job to ruin that conference so I'm taking Utah um next we got and this is the last one of this round Michigan at Penn State Jacob well, that depends on if Connor Stallions got to a Penn State game in time to steal their signs. <laughs> uh, I think Penn State's a little bit stinky. Like, they're obviously a good team, but they're not as good as everybody says. Michigan's going to take this one. Barrett. Uh, J.J. McCarthy's looked really good this year. Maybe that's a product of stealing signs. Maybe that's a product of him being a good quarterback. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. But he's looked good. Michigan's defenses looked really, really good. Uh, I I wonder I, why. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that they, they walk out of Happy Valley with a dub. So at the beginning of this season, I bet on Michigan over 10.5 wins this season. And my thought process was there are two teams they could lose to, and that's Ohio State and Penn State. I decided to take the over and say Michigan will beat at least one of them on the grounds that this is an 11 a.m. game and it's not a night game whiteout because if it were a night game whiteout, I'd be more scared. The 11 a.m. game in Penn State, that I don't think they had it without a whiteout against Michigan. <laughs> So I'm taking Michigan. Yale at Princeton for an all-time classic with two of the 
winningest teams of all time in multiple national championships going head to head. I got to give it to Princeton here, man. Princeton's going to take it. Barrett. I'm giving this one to Yale. Go Bulldogs. I think that these are two perennial powerhouses, and they have been from the beginning of time. It's going to be a coin flip. I'm going with the home team. It's Princeton. Next one. This is one of my favorite matchups of all time. We have Indiana, Pennsylvania at Bloomsburg. I don't know where Indiana, Pennsylvania is. I'm guessing it's either Indiana or Pennsylvania. Well, you know, this is a classic matchup, as you said. One of the one of the best of all time. However, two states against one. It's the same thing that I said last week when we had Penn West Cal. You can't beat two states, especially when you don't Cal even did have win one. Last week, for those exactly. who are wondering, yeah, if they you did. somehow missed that classic matchup last weekend. Indiana, Fair Pennsylvania will take it. I think that if you take the median of Indiana, Pennsylvania, it puts you in the wasteland that is Ohio, or maybe that isn't Ohio, for those of you that don't believe in it, like us. Uh, that being said, I think, is it Bloomsburg? Bloomsburg. I think Bloomsburg wins solely for the fact that this other school may or may not exist. See, I, I've given it some thought. I'm going with Indiana, Pennsylvania, but I'm putting an asterisk on this. Bloomsburg, I believe, is in Indiana. Now, if Indiana is true, if Indiana, Pennsylvania is in Indiana, they're not going too far. It's not a long distance. It's basically a home game. Indiana, Pennsylvania runs away with it, which is why I'm picking them. If it turns out Indiana, Pennsylvania is in Pennsylvania, I will end up being wrong. <laughs> But I'm committing to Indiana, Pennsylvania being in Indiana. They're winning this basically home game. Last but not least, we have West Alabama, who has been forgotten in the race for the best school in Alabama because South Alabama does have a transitive win over Bama. But West Alabama is nipping at their heels to be the second best over Bama. With that, West Alabama at shorter. Jacob. Uh, I'm going to take shorter. Why not? Eric. Yeah, we're going to give the short Kings a dub. Shorter all the way. We are agreeing across the board on this one. I didn't hit five foot until I was 16. I always have to respect my fellow shorter brothers. I'm giving it all the way to them. Now we've got our mystery. For those wondering, last week's mystery game was another freaking nail biter Gardner Webb versus Bryant 45 to 44 Gardner Webb team two ended up weaseling by but it was an absolute nail biter this week who are you taking team one or team two Jacob or are you Barrett. making go again <laughs> Barrett who are you taking team two won it for me ride or die Let's ride them again. Team two. Yep, team two. All right. I am in a precarious situation that I was in last week because XL picked one for me, so I'm alone again, and that's been widening the gap week by week. I would like to say before we move on, I said this to Jacob and Merritt earlier, 
I'm calling for TCU to make Barrett an honorary team captain so he can start doing our coin flips. Because this mystery season, Barrett's proven that he's the only man in the world who's good at picking coin flips. With that, we have covered enough football. What is going on around TCU that is not football? Jacob. Well, TCU Tennis has had a really eventful week this week at the ITA National Championships. They had the most players in the country actually involved in the championships. They had five. Yeah. And they all did well. Louie Maxted and Duncan Chan entered playing the number one doubles team, at least number one double seed in the tournament, and beat them in the first round, and then moved on all the way to the quarterfinals. Pedro Vives and Sebastian Gorsny also got to the quarterfinals, but they won their quarterfinals match and moved on to the semis. They ended up losing there, unfortunately. In the singles bracket, Jack Pennington-Jones is actually playing in about an hour here on Sunday night in the finals against Micah Braswell of the University of Texas. And Braswell is Texas's number two player. Pennington is our number two player. So this actually could very well be a preview of what we get a couple times during the tennis season in the spring. Pedro Vives made it to the quarterfinals of the singles bracket ended up losing to Micah Braswell, who he also lost to in the Texas Regional a couple weeks ago. Jack is basically playing on one foot as he pretty much broke his ankle in the Texas Regionals. He's still winning matches. I don't know what's going to stop him. We'll find out later tonight, uh, and we'll update you on that next week. Uh, with that, soccer lost in the Big 12 tournament. Very sad. Two to three to UCF. We gave them hell, but unfortunately UCF had that one. Volleyball versus Iowa State. We also lost again two to three on Friday and then zero to three on Saturday. But we've got stuff to look forward to. We have women's basketball Monday at four against Oral Roberts. Wednesday at 6.30 against Texas A&M Kingsville, and Sunday at white at, at 1 against longtime Southwestern Conference rival Rice. Volleyball, Friday at Baylor and Saturday at Baylor, and Equestrian versus Baylor at 10 a.m. I imagine that's going to be a great matchup in the Equestrian because Baylor and TCU, I believe, are both historically pretty strong Equestrian schools. So, those of you who are on campus listening, get out to the, obviously those games at Baylor may be tough, but the women's basketball games on campus, get out to them, go out, support our frogs. Moving on, last but not least, what you all came here for, hashtag our dicks in their mouth, men's basketball. What's going on this, what's coming up over men's basketball, boys? We've got our first real game of the season coming up this week. Uh, before we start off with that, though, we want to kind of briefly talk about the scrimmage that we played um, recently from last Monday. Um, Emmanuel Miller was on 
fire during this game. He was 11 of 12, 24 points. He had even had five assists. He was basically our entire offense throughout most of the game. He was incredible. Jameer Nelson Jr. as a secondary shout-out was 5 of 7. He had 12 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 steals. That's a huge, huge benefit for us to have another guy that can go out on the perimeter and guard someone and force turnovers and let us run in transition and do what we do best. Uh, One other piece I wanted to add on the scrimmage, I thought Uday looked incredible he opens up so much for our offense and for our defense honestly like I know he's not a huge offensive production player but his athleticism opens up a lot of like over the top lobs that we I think previously haven't necessarily had a big for TCU who has been athletic enough to be able to do stuff like that um even on the defensive side his ability to move his feet and get in position to get a block and kind of show his presence around the paint is another piece that I think while TCU has had good, like serviceable rim protectors who are big, they haven't necessarily moved their feet well, and they're not necessarily fast enough to get over to block a shot. Uday is that guy. He will be roaming the paint for us and he will be do an incredible job of doing that. So, with that being said, I'm going to pass it off to Jacob to start us off with our game against Southern. Yeah, so Southern went 15-17 and 17 last year, but they were 11-7 and 7 in the slack. So, better in conference than out of conference. That might show that they just play better competition out of conference so that they're more prepared for their conference. But they lost five players from last year's team. They are a pretty decent three-point shooting team. However, they're not very good from the stripe. So offensively, they, they had a scrimmage against Louisiana Christian University uh, last week, and they scored 94 points. So they can put the ball in the basket. They were led by a guy named Tyron Joseph, who's a 6'3 guard, and he previously played at Austin P and Radford. Their secondary scorer was named Jordan Johnson. He came off the bench. He's a 6'4 guard, freshman, pretty big guy, I think kind of in the mold of maybe Jameer Nelson Jr. He's 195, 200 pounds. But the big thing is he's four from eight from deep. And uh, I think he's just going to be somebody that we have to key in on. Really, their whole team, they, they shoot a lot of threes. So we will need to get out on shooters and make sure we box out on the interior so that we can get those long rebounds. Starting lineup, I'm just going off, off of the scrimmage. It's going to be Jameer Nelson Jr., Tennyson, then Miller, Coles, and Uday. That's a pretty pretty stout starting five. Um, I, we mentioned Tennyson might be a spot starter sometime in the year. Anderson, I think, is still working his way back into the team after coming off of another injury. I think he'll switch on and off with Tennyson throughout the season, maybe even becoming a permanent starter later on in the year. As for the bench, our sixth man is pretty much entrenched. It's going to be Micah Peavy. 
He was great in the scrimmage. I think he'll be great for us all year. We also have Anderson, Cork, Chuck O'Bannon, and Mustafa. Cork and Mustafa pretty much played the same amount of minutes in the scrimmage, and each of their minutes was about half of what Uday played. So Uday played about 18 minutes. Cork and Mustafa played about nine each. And then Jace Posey, if we do need another guard, somebody gets in foul trouble, finished off with Isaiah Manning as a reserve once we're up by 30 to 35. Yeah, and, and I think going off of you like laying out the lineups in our rotation, I think Tennyson, PV, and Anderson, all of those guys really will probably rotate in and out of the starting lineup for that two slot, depending on the type of team we're playing and what Jamie Dixon is wanting out of the team. Um, Tennyson might be like the starter who's just always in the starting lineup to begin the game, but might not always get all of the minutes, depending on what we need. If we need a bigger guy like PV to go and just defend the big wing. Um, one thing I will mention on the game against Southern in terms of how I expect us to play, I think if we can be very physical on defense and run these guys off of the three-point line, force them into Ernest Uday, and really get them dribbling, get them moving around, I think that we can force a lot of turnovers, honestly, and run in transition. That's how we're going to beat this team is with our athleticism on defense and just hounding them when they have the ball. They're not, I would say, a necessarily super athletic team for the most part. Um, With a bunch of shooters, usually that translates into not fantastic defense. Um, so I think we can use our, our athleticism to to take this team and really shove the ball down their throats. I'm, I'll, I'll just go ahead and move on yeah. straight to Omaha. Um, Omaha was not good last year. They were 9-23, and 4-14 and 14 in conference. They play in the Summit League. They lost seven players from last year's team. I believe two to three of those were walk-ons. I didn't really look into – many of them i'll say they do have one to two shooters who are kind of in the mid 30s from deep but other than that they have absolutely nobody unless they brought in a freshman that i don't know about they're picked to finish seventh in the summit league this year and they really have two players who will game plan for the first is frankie fiddler and that's just a awesome name a plus goes to his parents uh he's first team preseason all summit league selection he's a six seven forward and because of his size and stats i think he has really good technical ability and post moves because he's not huge he's six seven at 205 like jameer nelson weighs 205 and he's six two so he's a thin guy but i think he's really able to utilize his skill very well he hasn't shot many threes in the past doesn't mean he won't this year hasn't added it to his game just hasn't in the past there they didn't have a scrimmage on their schedule listed that i could look at as for last year he shot 43 percent from the field he was a good free throw shooter though at 89 percent. he averaged 14.7 points per game he was also their leading rebounder last year at almost six rebounds per game, which 
isn't very much. I think we can really, really use our size against Omaha. He had 39 steals and 17 blocks on the season. The other guy that we need to watch out for is named Markel Sutton. He's another forward, 6'8", 218, so a little bit bigger. I'm pretty sure he plays the post. I don't think they'll start a center. I think it'll be these two guys. Sutton shot 45.4% from the field. He's not a good free throw shooter at 62%. He averaged 10.3 points per game and five rebounds. Really, Sutton's their tallest player other than a 7-1 freshman center from like South Sudan. So I'm guessing that they think that center is more of a project guy and not an immediate contributor, but you never know. Even if he is an immediate contributor, our big should be strong enough to lock down a freshman no matter how tall he is. Yep, going off of that, I, I think this is a game where I would expect Micah PV to get more minutes than Tennyson just to get some additional size on the court at any given point. This is a team that's going to want to feed the post. Um, my guess is that, again, based off the size of Frankie Fiddler, like he's probably pretty good in the mid-range. Um, and so I would expect to see Emmanuel Miller guarding him most of the time and then PV switching on and off uh, whenever Miller needs a break. The, the biggest thing here is we need to make sure that Ernest Uday does not get into foul trouble because this is a team that's most likely going to be feeding the post and feeding the post often. And I think we have the size to be able to deal with that um, and to be able to keep them off the board specifically. And we have the athleticism to be able to run in transition. I bet it's looking at their two top players. They're pretty good defensively. Um, Frankie Fiddler had 39 steals and 17 blocks that, previously i that's pretty good stats for a forward like a three four hybrid kind of um another team where i think we're just going to need to run in transition get a bunch of boards in this game i expect us to pound the glass in this one yeah i don't think we'll necessarily need to run in transition against either of these teams i think they both should be pretty easy wins regardless uh, it just matters how much we want to run up the score, really, and put on a show for the fans. I think these two games could be really good developmental games for both Posey and Manning. If we can get up to a 25, 30-point lead, we can get them some solid minutes, maybe seven minutes at the end of the game, give them some time to develop against good uh, college competition. But... Really, we should be 2-0 and uh, this week pretty easily. Be on the lookout. Uh, I'll release a short 10-15 minute episode on Tuesday, hopefully, breaking down the Southern game, just so we don't have to spend so much time on it uh, for next weekend's long episode. But I think 2-0. and And... Really, I, I saw the odds came out this year for the Big 12, and TCU is plus 750 to win the Big 12 this year. Wow. So with that, how do you guys think the Big 12 is going to shake out? 
there's there's always a lot of parity around the Big 12, especially in basketball, right? Uh, there are so many teams in this league that are consistently towards the top of the national rankings. I think that when it's all said and done for the end of this year, it's probably going to come down to TCU and Kansas um, in terms of who's going to come out with that title. I think we have a sneaky good chance of actually winning the title this year. We have a little bit more athleticism than I think we have in the past, specifically in the post. We have a little bit more depth. Um, I expect us to start a little slowly, which is pretty normal when you have this many transfers coming in trying to mesh. But I think down the stretch, TCU will turn into a very serviceable team. It could make a pretty strong push for the Big 12 title and a potential push in the NCAA tournament. We uh we talked about this at the beginning of the season in in the podcast how oh because football's pretty much been decided by the powers that be that the Big Twelve is never going to get the attention the Big Twelve has really chosen to become the basketball conference. We are a really deep, really good basketball conference this year, and this will be the worst we are at basketball for the next several years because we're just getting better and deeper. I obviously am as much of a homer as they get. I think TCU has as much a shot as anybody, but it is going to be a wild basketball season. There are going to be a lot of good teams for us to play, and those good teams are going to be having to play a lot of good teams. There's no reason it can't be us, because at the end of the day, the door is wide open for anybody in such a a, a conference that's got a lot of parity, and it's parity where even our mid-level is playing at a pretty top tier. We are a really good conference. This this is going to be a really fun year. And honestly, it could go any direction. To, to throw one more team into this mix, I had mentioned Kansas. Obviously, Kansas is always in the top. UT, Max Asmus, and Tyrese Hunter is probably going to end up being their starting duo at guard with, I would venture to guess Dylan DeSue, Dylan Mitchell, and then maybe one other. I don't necessarily know who it's going to be, but that's four guys who have consistently, like Acemas, maybe not so much, but Acemas is a baller. Having watched him play, the dude's incredible, and um, for how small he is. But like three, the three other guys have consistently given TCU fits previously. I think DeSue maybe will less so this year because I think we have more athleticism to be able to deal with him in the post. Um, But that's another team that could easily make a run for the title in the Big 12. And they've got maybe less depth than they have previously. But, man, do they have a good starting lineup. Yeah, I was listening back to the Big 12 media days and – listening to their coach who unfortunately I really like uh but I was listening back to him talk about Asmus and he said that Asmus has been training with Kevin Durant and a bunch of other NBA stars this offseason just kind of learning how they do things I think UT is going to be very good I, I think it's a race between uh Kansas UT and Houston at the top 
of the conference. And I think those three are going to be vying for one. I'm waiting to release judgment on us. I want to see if Emmanuel Miller can continue his consistency that he showed in the scrimmage. If he does, I think we could challenge as well. But I think it's going to be those three. Can never count out Kansas State. They beat us in the Big 12 tournament like four or five years in a row, which was so annoying. But infuriating. Yeah. I'm looking at the polls right now. We are 29th in the coaches poll. Wow. And a little bit further down, looks like about 32nd or 33rd in the AP. I know Ken Palm is going to love us. If this team can can adopt the typical Jamie Dixon defensive grit, I think they'll keep themselves in just about every game this season. Yeah. You you mentioned Houston briefly. I look, Houston's a great team. They've got a great coach. I think Houston has been the beneficiary of maybe not necessarily having the craziest difficulty of a schedule in previous years. And so they've looked really good and had amazing records. I would venture to guess that Houston takes a bit of a step back this year, being in the Big 12 and playing against consistently strong opponents. Uh, Maybe they don't necessarily have the number of losses, but I think it definitely takes a toll on them physically going game in, game out, game out against strong teams with like a lot of athleticism. And so that's one thing that I would kind of caveat is that we haven't necessarily seen Houston in a conference that has consistent level of play to the level of the Big 12. So that's fair. But at the same time, Houston better show up. Um, obviously all four of our additions to the football conference here have not been phenomenal this year. And that's to be expected. If you remember when we joined the big 12, we went four and eight right off the bat. I mean, it's, there is a learning curve, but Houston basically got invited for basketball. UCF and Cincy both had strong seasons in the AAC. BYU has always messed people up when they go play a power five team, they ruin seasons. They they got invited, despite the fact that they knew there'd be a learning curve, they got invited that they knew they had the capacity to go up that learning curve. Houston had not looked impressive even in the AAC in football. They got invited for their basketball prowess. And if there's a learning curve in the, in the Power Five, that's totally fair. But they're going to have to show up at least to some extent because, I mean, this is why we took them. So they better, they better have more than just a, like a step back is fine but they can't have more than that yeah i want to touch on byu for a second as well because i think that they're a team this year that could give older big 12 members fits just because those mormons are insane and when you go into their basketball arena it is packed every single game yeah they got the jazz but the Mormons are crazy. Their, their home court advantage, I think, is going to rival like Iowa State's. It's going to be nuts. Getting in and out with a win is going to be a fight. I'm dating an LDS girl, and I'm thus not commenting on anything Jacob just said, or else I will 
regret it. When I say crazy, I no, don't mean no, in a I bad know way. I just mean fair, they love she their actually team. Describes so I, I learned this year that uh, they don't like being called Mormons, but she calls the BYU students Mormons because she says they are Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> There's one more team that we haven't mentioned at all who we probably should, and that's Baylor. Like, I know we don't like them, but they're good at basketball. They're really and good at basketball. They lost Keontae George, and they've just retooled. I think they're going to be really good. It's going to be a battle to be in the top five, and I think that's why in all of the preseason released – NCAA tournament brackets that we've seen, they have had 10 Big 12 teams in them. And I think that's probably 10 to 11 is probably going to be about right. And I think it's going to be a shame for those two seeds that have to play the seven seed Big 12 team in the second round. It's going to be, it's just going to be tough for them or a, like a four or five seed that draws a 10. That's, it's just going to be unfortunate for them, but they're going to have to deal with it because Big 12 is going to be good at basketball. We have to deal with it the entire regular season. Gonna, it's going to be their problem that week. Exactly. Yeah, one thing I will mention on, on Baylor is their system is very predicated on having strong guard play. And I think... Ray J. Dennis is a good offensive weapon for them. He's He'll step up to the plate to fill that Keontae George role. Um, outside of that, though, like I don't necessarily feel like they have the same level of talent that they have had at guard over the past few years. And so I, I expect them to take a step back again this year, similar to Houston. That'll be interesting because Houston got one of Baylor's guards from last year. Uh, LJ Cryer, who TCU fans thought they were going to get a couple of years back. So I think Baylor's still going to be pretty good, but I I don't think they'll be challenging for the top overall spot. Iowa State, they're always good. Even yeah. last year when we thought that they were going to be terrible, they are still somehow finished fifth in the big 12 they finished one spot above us so iowa state's going to surprise some people it's always tough to go play at iowa state doesn't matter what season it is weird things happen in ames iowa exactly there's not a bad team until you get to like ucf and cincinnati oh you bro even ou last year almost made the ncaa tournament and they beat several really good teams. They beat Alabama last year. And Alabama was like a two-seed or something like that in the NCAA tournament. I think they won by like 20. So you can never count count the Sooners out in basketball. They also have always given us trouble. That's what I was I, – I was biting my tongue to wait for it. They – oh, it does not matter if they suck and we're great. We suck and they're – the OU game is always tight and it always pisses me off. The one thing I will say about OU, neither of the Groves brothers are there anymore, and they were like their entire team over the past few years. Yeah, and thank goodness Brady Manick finally is out of college basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the Big 12 is going to 
run college basketball, I do have a hard time seeing anybody compete with Kansas just because of Hunter Dickinson and their guard play. They're going to be experienced across the board. They're going to be big, fast across the board. Bill Self is a great coach. But basketball or the basketball season are the three to five, however many months of the year that Kansas is real. It's it's pretty intense. Yeah, it'll be a fun season, though. I'm looking forward to getting getting started. I don't know if there are any really good matchups the first day of the season. Arkansas played Purdue and beat them in a scrimmage. A couple oh, good weeks for ago. Arkansas. Good for Arkansas. Cool pig. Uh, USC plays Kansas State, actually, on Monday night. That wow. Should be a, that should be a really good game. USC's ranked 21 in the country. Kansas State's not ranked, but USC, even at that 21, is only a two-and-a-half-point favorite. So that could be a good game. Baylor's playing Auburn. On Tuesday, Bruce Pearl's a good coach, even if he doesn't have great players. Janai Broom is a problem in the paint, to say the least. And then Friday is when the big games kick off around the country. Arizona plays Duke at 6 p.m., I believe, Central Time. And then UCF plays Miami. That'll be a rivalry game. But in the end, we don't care about them because we all we got, we all we need. Yeah. So, Frogs, I don't see any way they're not winning the NCAA tournament this year. Frogs by nine. Darn right. On that note, Frogs are winning the NCAA tournament this year. Thank you all for tuning in to your three favorite geniuses giving their not-so-genius takes on all things TCU football, basketball, and every other thing TCU and elsewhere around the country. Make sure to tune in not just next week, but perhaps a few times this week for an afternoon-after episode regarding the basketball games that will occur this week. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, go Frogs! All right, ready to do this? Yes, I am. All right, two, three, four... Basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball because I'm gonna dunk it! Basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball because I'm gonna dunk it! Basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball because I'm gonna dunk it! Basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball because I'm gonna dunk it!